Welcome to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. This is a podcast where we talk all things culture, leadership and teamwork across business and sport. Hello everybody, I'm Brendan Rogers, the host of the Culture of Things podcast and this is episode 5. Today I'm speaking with Scotty Schindler. Scotty was the startup founder of a real estate software business called Renet. Scotty retired from Renet in 2017 at the tender age of 46. At the time of his retirement, Renet managed over $1.1 trillion of property. Our focus today is the Scottyisms, as he calls them, around culture, leadership, and teamwork. Let's dive in and learn some of these Scottyisms that created the foundation for the success at Renet. Scotty, welcome to the Culture of Things podcast. Thank you for being our guest on episode five. It's great to have you. No worries, mate. I uh, got out of the surf, especially for you today. Mate, good on you. Um, I really appreciate that. I think there's not a lot that would get you out of the surf, so I'll take that as a severe compliment. How about we start with, um, you just give a bit of a bit of a brief overview, if you can, around your, your journey to date and where, where that's taken you and the experiences you've had. Look, I sold insurance for 10 years. I then went on a journey of trying to have a better myself and start a company, or actually at the time it was a business I wanted to start. In the end, that became a company, so I went on an entrepreneurial journey. That started in 2000, and I, I did things a certain way. I had certain beliefs and philosophies that I wanted to have on that journey, and I used those as a guiding light to steer me towards what I really wanted to achieve out of a business, and, and it worked. All of a sudden, by 2018, I was fully exited and financially independent, and more or less retired. Um, rather than rather than being full retired, I guess now I'm semi-retired, but I'm I'm a self-funded retiree, having fun now teaching people about you know philosophies that I used to grow my business, and that's where I am now. It is an unbelievable journey, actually. You and I first connected back in March of 2018. I'm not sure if you remember that, but um, look, we, we won't go into the details of that on, on this podcast, but we, we want to talk specifically around what you mentioned in your company and, and Renet what you, that you grew. But before we do go into that, I'd love you just to share some of the stuff that you do in the community as well and, and your sporting background because that's been, you know, that's been a big part of your life as well. Yeah, well, the first thing is it's not what I do, it's who I am, although <laughs> for 10 years I didn't really surf either. So that 10 years of selling insurance, I, I was travelling all over the state and I was working long hours, so I didn't really surf for 10 years. So I became a born-again surfer. The, um, but it's now, you know, it became a priority for my, my second phase of life as opposed to a, uh, a hobby or a sport. It became a priority for my life. And it's a release. It's a place I go to to do meditation, I do um, competitively as well, I use it for fitness, so the whole uh, surfing thing has been very good for me. And as far as the other community things, I used to do in the Surf Life Saving Club um, and do things like that, but I, I changed a few years ago to join the local fire brigade, so I'm also in the Fire Rescue New South Wales team, and I respond to you know um, medical assists and car accidents, high fires, bushfires, so that's my way of giving back to the community as well. Yeah, good on you, mate. You you came across from the moment I, I first met you through LinkedIn as a real giver, and I think when I took some time to to travel up and and see you up in the lovely Sawtell on the mid north coast, uh, you know you, you seem like a bit of a local legend and and very well liked and and loved in the community. So well well done on the work you're doing there, mate. It's fantastic. 
Thank you. Let's go into the the Renet journey and, and that company. And well, actually, before I go into that, I'd love to ask you one question because I'm sure there's listeners out there that would love to know. At what stage of that born again surfing lifestyle did you lose your long blonde locks? Oh, look, I, I lost my blonde locks in my twenties, right? The insurance business made me uh, made me go bald. I think. <laughs> I have heard that from other people actually that I know insurance. So fair, fair point, fair point, mate. Let, yeah, let's. I had, um, had had the whole fire touching happen as I started reading it. So. Good on you, mate. Look, let, let's tell it. Let's go into the the Renet journey. I mean, it's quite a quite a story, which I'll, I'll let you share a bit. But just to give the listeners, you know, you built a company from nothing to something, and that something was uh, in the region of, of quite a bit over one trillion dollars worth of property um, being managed through that through that software business. So, how about you share a bit of the journey of, of how that started and and where that went? Well, look, the, I didn't know I was going to start the company Renet, but what I did do was. When I left the insurance business, I wanted to have a bet on myself and I wanted to start a company in IT. Now, with no knowledge or experience or degrees in IT, it was a pretty pretty ballsy move, right? But I figured I could learn it. So my first IT outing was a medical website or a medical portal. And I was in partners with that business and that didn't work because it turns out, you know, the, the partner that I went with owned the name, but he didn't really want to do any work. So I got out of that one pretty fast. And then I started doing local portals, you know, for, for uh, there's, there's one running right now called Local Search or something similar to that. This mm-hmm. is back in 2000. Um, and that didn't really take off. I mean, it worked, but it was not really, a, I couldn't see it getting any real traction. I then pivoted and tried to go into networking and security. So I, I then studied some books on how to do peer-to-peer networking and, you know, getting there all that work. So I then started, you know, really studying hard. And my very first client I went out to and they had Windows 98 and, and this is in 2000. I, I, after I finished the job, I was such a was such a brain strain. I just thought this is not going to be aligned with any of my philosophies. Even if there's a business here and money to be made, it was not going to align with my business philosophy. So that was the third attempt at a, at a proper business. This is apart from doing standard website design. And then I I decided I maybe I'm not good enough for starting my own business. So at the start of 2001, I started looking for work. I started to self doubt, you know, the wife was, you know, giving me pressure and, you know, not really not really backing me in a sense because things weren't really, you know, growing or expanding and I was I was mm-hmm. struggling in a sense. And that was hard, right? Really hard to be in that state. And um but anyway, look, I started applying for jobs and, and luckily for me, not only did I not get a job, no one even actually gave me an interview. So no one even wanted to have a chat with me about where I was or what I could do or anything. And that was mainly because I think what I did was a little bit different. I did my I did my resume online as a website. And back then it was like, well, you know, where's all these printed material? And I didn't present any printed material. I just presented it all on a website. So that's what I was doing. I was trying to be different. Anyway, it turned out to be too different, obviously. No one would give me a job. <laughs> but that was lucky because I then went on another journey. In May 2001, I went to the Gold Coast with my grandmother. And I bought two books, one on PHP and one on MySQL, and decided to have a crack at this online databasing and making software which was a big pivot a big change and i started writing three software packages one for one for car yards one for accommodation and one for real estate and i was already looking after people in all three of those areas and the one that took off was the real estate one so by 2002 in february i realized the real estate one was the one i was getting the most traction with so i formed the company 
remit. So it took six attempts to actually get something off the ground from when I decided to quit the insurance business and start my own business. And even then it wasn't a company. It was just I had traction. It took another nearly two years before I realized I actually had a company. So nearly four years that journey went on. You know, a lot of pivoting, a lot of changing, a lot of heartache. But the business philosophies had to ring true. My beliefs of how I want to have a company needed to ring true. And I was prepared to, I guess, do whatever it took. But then again, like I said, I did want to quit at one stage, but lucky enough for me, no one gave me a job. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great story. And there's two things that sort of stick out to me and, and two questions. One of those is what sort of formal education did you have behind you around this journey? Uh, and also, and, and you can answer both these questions together, what, what was the sort of qualities that you believe you had that, that drove you forward on this journey? Because there's obviously just in what you shared there, there's a number of, I guess you could say, bumps in the road along the way. Oh, plenty of them. Um, well, formal education is really quick for me to answer because there was none. The, <laughs> the qualities I had that made the business work, and I often talk to people about this and say, well, it was, even though it was a long journey and, you know, I can condense, you know, nearly four years into, you know, a two-minute sort of backstory, one of, the, one of the ways I cheated the most was the fact that I had the ability to be able to walk into any business I liked and do a presentation and leave with the check. So what that meant was, you know, I, I had the ability to get sales. So my product may not have been the world's best. And certainly my, my degrees and my uh, ability to build software was not at the top level either. The product worked. And I really liked the product. And people liked the product too. So they paid me or else they wouldn't have paid me. But it was my ability to actually go out and talk to people, create those relationships and get a deal and look at people as clients for life, not clients as a sale. That made company Renet what Renet is. I was always after the lifetime value of a client, not after a sale. But in saying that, the one way I cheated was I had the ability to do presentations or selling, if you want to call it, that got results. What, what I'd like to reinforce there, and, and I, I think you, know, you, you glossed over it a little bit as far as formal education, and I asked that for a reason because I, I know the answer, but... What I really want to enforce is that, you know, the qualities that you've seen through that process is that, you know, through your hard work, dedication and commitment and actually the people skills, so actually being smart around people, not so smart around books or needing to be smart around books and that's really got got you to where you are today, mate, that commitment, that work ethic, that people smart scenario Uh, and I I know myself through first-hand experience and and having got to know you over the the two years, I feel like I've known you for a hell of a long time and you're just that that great bloke to know and to have in your life. So, um, you know, I've, I've seen those qualities come through in, in spades over these last two years. So, so again, well, well done on who you are, mate. It's fantastic. Thanks for that. And, and if I can hitchhike on the education bit, you know, one thing that was an advantage for me was, look, I did my, I did, went to high school, of course. I wasn't a high school dropout. I did finish it. Well, I, was, I only finished it so I could surf on the school team. <laughs> <laughs> Take that out of it. So I did finish high school. So I'm not a high school dropout. But the, the reality was, I was, you know, almost last in the year. So I wasn't certainly the smartest person. Which in the end was an advantage for me because what it meant was I knew everybody else was smarter than me. So I actually used that as the tool to build the business. I hired people who were smarter than me, better than me, and then let them be smarter and better than me in that area, whether it was website design, graphic design, uh, marketing, computer programming, 
it didn't matter. They were better than me at what they did. I actually went looking for those people mm. to make sure they were better than me. And, and then I empowered them and let them be better than me. That way, one of the business philosophies was to build the business up to a point where I was actually redundant. Interesting yeah. philosophy, right? Most people make themselves the most important person, whereas I wasn't. Whereas even though I was, everything I did was because I wanted to do, not had to do, which is a different mindset. But mm. the point is, coming from an uneducated background, it's not that I don't think education is important. The reality is education is only potential. Like I, I failed economics in a sense, right? So I did economics. The girl I sat beside in the economics class, right, she went on to become the international vice president of EMI records. And I sat next to her. One day we're, we were, you know, she comes home for Christmas and we're, we're down the local pub and she walks up to me and she says, oh, geez, the price of properties and things around here. We should have bought, we should have bought some properties. I turned around and said, well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so at the end of the day, you know, it's like she was the, she sat, we sat beside each other. She became the international vice president. She was one of the top in the class. I was one of the bottom in the class that I went on to create a company. So education is important, but it's only what your potential is with that education and what you do with that education and then how you, you move forward and, and prosper. Not only, not only once you get the job and once you get the career, but what you actually do with that, how you invest and how you balance life out is also the next factor. Education is just potential. I remember, as, as you're talking, I remember seeing a video online, I think on your website, where you talk about being, I think, 70th out of 71 in your English class. And, and, <laughs> and you, you shared a story with me, actually, a, a little while ago around, um, I think, one of your classmates who ended up working with you. You, you want to just ex, just expand on oh, that a little yeah. bit so that I, I'm not telling untruths? <laughs> yeah, that's all right. So, well, interestingly enough, like I said, that everyone was smarter than me. That's easy, right? <laughs> and when people correct my spelling, I, I thank them. I don't go, oh, you know, what are you doing? You know, you shouldn't be correcting me. And, you know, I actually appreciate it. I, I um, you know, what do I call it, embrace it. I love people who engage. In fact, in the end, they're called deliberate mistakes. So if I make a mistake and someone engages and I go, perfect, see, engagement. <laughs> mm. So I don't have a problem with that. But what's interesting about the whole, you know, I got 71st in English and, or 70 out of 71 is, is I ended up hiring the ducks of the school to come and work for me. So, you know, here he was, the, the, the smartest kid at school, and he comes and works for me and becomes my website designer. So, you know, from the, from the kid that was probably least expected to have a business or even succeed or any of that sort of stuff to hire the ducks of the school would be unheard of. And, uh, yeah, it was interesting that in the end, you know, I, as, a, as a C or D class student, I was hiring the A class student. Wow, and, and that's where your story to me is just so inspirational, mate. It's, you know, you, you've just achieved above and beyond what, uh, you know, what, what some of the people out there and the, the importance they play on traditional education so that there's so much hope for anybody if they've got the right work ethic, commitment and, de- and dedication to, to achieve and focus on what they want to do. Yeah, and look, I don't, look, I, it's, it's like homework with my kids. I don't value it at all. I don't do any homework with the kids and I know some people out there are going to freak out about this. I have no interest at all in... Um, that side of their schooling. But at the end of the day, I know that when they leave school and they decide they want to do something, then they'll apply themselves and then they'll become the best person they can in things that they're interested in. Fighting over my kids to do their maths or English homework is not going to achieve anything. It's just not except for maybe potentially ruin our relationship. Different if they wanted to do it or they came and asked me to help, absolutely. But I'm not going to force them to do it or ground them if they're not going to do it. Because I, I think 
I think education is super important. I just don't think the school system up until year 12 or whatever, or even university for that matter, is the most important education you're ever going to get in your life. What matters about your education is what happens once you leave the schooling system and you start to learn in real life what needs to be done to apply whatever that potential is that you've got. That is the education that's important. Not the school one, as, as much as it's a good foundation. You know, I never had it, but what I do agree with is education is important, but the education after you leave the system is by far the most valuable education that you can get. Mate, let, let's go into the um, arena again and, and the culture. You've got your own unique philosophies and I really like your, the connotations you use and the words you use around leadership and, and some of your experiences there. So let me, let me ask you around sugar and cream leadership. That's, some, that's a term that you use a bit. <laughs> Tell us what sugar and cream leadership. Well... I'm glad you asked. Sugar and cream, it's a, it's a Scottyism. Um, and it's one of the few things that I came up with as a terminology post-Renet. Now, I already knew about it. I already knew I was doing it. I just didn't have a way of describing it. And one day, I, I worked it out over a cup of coffee. <laughs> Basically, a lot of people go looking for the cream, right? And a lot of people are the cream when they come and apply for work. But I was never looking for the cream when it came to hiring staff. I was always looking for the sugar, the people out there that were motivated, they were inspired, and they wanted to be someone, and they wanted to get to the next level. They are prepared to do whatever it takes. Those sugary people, just a little bit of stirring, a bit of motivation, a bit of a push in the right direction, an opportunity, and they become the best assets that you've ever had. And they were the people I was looking for at all times. So when someone came along, you know, the cream of the crop, and they, were, they had all the certificates, they had all the degrees, and they had all the experience, well, they... They actually weren't the people I was looking for. I was looking for the people that were, that they could have been them, but mostly they already arrived. I wanted people that wanted the journey and wanted the destination, and I could help them on that journey through the business. So Renet wasn't so much, even though it was a real estate software company, Renet was more of a system. It was a system to help real estate agents grow their business. It was a system for staff that I could hire, and they could come along and grow their careers. Everything about Renet was a system. They're just the vehicle we used, was real estate software. But everything about Renet was a system from, from leadership through staff and how I developed them and hired them, how I retained them, right through to the software itself for the real estate agents. If I helped enough people succeed, I would succeed too. You, you've mentioned system a little bit just in, in that explanation. And so it reminds me again of your system 1357. Tell us a bit about yep. that. Because that, that's also something you've made freely available on your website to people, you know, part of your giving nature. So t- tell us about System 1357, how that was developed and what, what is it about? Well, I had System 1357 prior to really leaving um, the insurance business and starting the company. What I didn't have was the, the package of saying it was System 1357. And System 1357 is, it's all the business philosophies, all the techniques that allow people to grow their business in a way that helps them work smarter rather than harder. And I had all those things before I started reading it. So essentially, if I just go through the five business philosophies, business judo, that was a very deliberate and conscious business method that I was implementing when I first started reading it. The way I leveraged, the way I collaborated, very deliberate action, time duplication. So time duplication meant that I had to actually hire staff that were as good or better than me because I needed to duplicate myself. I need to duplicate the product. I need to duplicate everything. So time duplication. It's the one thing that every successful person understands is time duplication. 
Mm. The business of thirds is a little bit different. That's about your strike rate and things like that. So if, as an example, you know, a, a, a top 30 of staff are always your dedicated ones. The bottom 30 of staff are the ones they're going to turn over and they come and go. It just doesn't work out for whatever reason. Or they move, they leave. They, they come and go for the same reason. The same thing happens with your product range. The same thing happens with your um, everything. It's just the business of thirds. The rule of 100 is the time timeline. So your first 100 seconds, 100 minutes, 100 hours, 100 days, 100 weeks, and then 100 months. And everything goes through the cycle of the rule of 100. And the third business philosophy, uh, sorry, the fifth business philosophy was the sugar and cream. And that was how I sold, how I hired people, and how I grew the company. So system 1357 is a collection of things like that that helped me go from a concept and just a bunch of business philosophies that I implemented to turn into a business, to turn into an entrepreneurial journey, and then to create wealth. So that's what System 1357 is, a beautiful way of describing what the, the methods were that I used to grow a company. A couple of times you mentioned around staff and, and you know, many times you've talked to me about, you know, it's all about the people in your business and, and how you grew that culture. Tell me a little bit about what you believe the culture was and what, what was the strength in the culture of Arena and why it was so successful as a business with the people that you had? Uh, well, I guess the... The culture, look, it came and went. All I can say is that it was perfect. And there was times where it got toxic and there was times where I had to deal with that. Uh, there was a time where I had a, for want of a better word, a saying, a brain fart and, you know, and got cranky at the team and I lost two people overnight and I had to reset. <laughs> so, was it perfect? Hell no. Um, but was it? Was there some foundations and some basic principles in there that, that we relied upon? Yeah, there was. Things like... I had a no-fire policy. So if I hired someone, I saw it as my responsibility to look after that person at all times. If they left, it was because of something that I didn't do. And um, so I had a no-fire policy. If they got through that first month, then it was my job. I hired them for the right reasons, and I needed to follow through on that right reasons and give them that opportunity. As an example, on numbers, for example, if I've paid someone $50,000 a year for two years, if after two years they leave and I haven't got a return on that $100,000, that's my fault. So I need to make sure that investment in staff that I'm doing pays off. And so I saw it as my responsibility to get that return on investment. Not their responsibility to turn up and do their job. That's a given. But it was my responsibility to get the most out of these people and create those opportunities and have that deliver. So that's, that's an example of the no-fire policy. Mm. And, you know, I, I didn't have quarterly reviews. I had no office hours. People could come and go as they liked. People could even pick their own holidays. In the end, the teams were big enough that you know, if someone in support wanted to have some time off, I just had to speak to the other people in support, make sure it worked, then come and tell me what they'd organised, and they always could. They could always take holidays in advance. I, I just let people have full autonomy. Once again, mm-hmm. my philosophy was to make myself redundant. Almost these people all had a business within the business. Like I said, it wasn't perfect, but I think that was the strength of the business. And I also had financial systems in place where every single person in the business got a bonus. Every single person in the business got an incentive or a reward for the success of the business. That was a game changer for my business over those years. Completely changed everything, that financial system. There was heaps of things like that. And, and you know, having staff and, and leading people is always difficult. There's emotions. There's, there's people with their own challenges in life and they bring them to work. And sometimes it gets toxic and you've got to sit back and try and work out how to solve it and how to get the best out of the situation. And sometimes I couldn't, and other times I could. But, you know, it's it's understanding that 
that as a leader, as an owner of the business, it's still the buck still stops with me. And I had to constantly plan for all those good times and the bad times. Look, there's there's a few things to unpack there, and and probably the first one I want to ask is around with the bonus structure that you had in place. And again, not necessarily worried about the, the specifics of that, but you're in a sales orientated organization or that's what you built. And it's pretty not common. And, and believe me, I've worked with some sales orientated businesses and they have a tough challenge getting their mind around setting uh, incentive structures that are team orientated as opposed to being individual orientated, which is the, more the stock standard. How did, you said that was a real game changer for you, how everybody was incentivized. What, what do you mean by that? Dive into that a little bit. Well, every single person got like if as a salesperson, it's easy to pay a salesperson a bonus on a sale. Totally qualified. How do you pay a software developer who doesn't sell? You you, you sort of can't, right? Mm. So, but they still got a bonus on every sale we got. Why? Mm. Because I wanted my software developers to create a better product, which meant we got more sales. Pretty simple, right? So, if we got ten sales for the month and they made a thousand dollars, well, so be it. I can't remember the exact figures, but the point is, you know, they did got a thousand dollars, and they didn't have anything to do with those sales. Does that make sense? So at the end of the year, they got ten or twenty thousand dollars extra because of the sales we got. And sometimes those guys did have something to do with the sales. So someone would come along and go, "Well, Scott, we like everything, but we want to get this product done on the side as well." And that might cost them a thousand or two thousand dollars extra work, or sometimes more. So the the developer would then get a bonus on the work they did. They'd get ten percent or fifteen percent of the work they did as well. So they got incentives for their hours that we're doing as well. Even support. So when a sale comes in, that's not the end of the job, right? Just because the salesperson sold the product. That is not the end of the line. It's only the beginning. So support had to make sure there was this, you know, the transition from non-client to client was seamless as well. So they had to make sure they looked after these clients. And, and if there was something in the sale that needed rectifying or looking after, the clients were the most important people. So support staff also got an incentive as a bonus from every sale because their job was to onboard clients in a in a, a successful way that retained the clients. So, and here's the caveat, if we lost a client within 12 months, the bonus got clawed back. So we, in other words, if we didn't get a client to stay as a client, everyone had their bonuses clawed back. Mm-hmm. And you know, we'd lose, there's always a churn rate of about 5% a year for whatever reason. Sometimes it's no one's fault. Sometimes it is people's fault. But if I had pain as a company, they lost a little bit of their bonuses too. But if the client stayed, they kept their bonuses. So it was everyone had the benefit and everyone had the pain. And that's why the bonus system completely changed the business. And every single person in the business got incentive for the success of the company. Yeah, again, I, I love that story just around the team. Everybody is involved in maintaining a client and everybody's working together and, and, and it probably meant that you know people would sometimes take their sort of role responsibility department hat off and, and they do whatever they need to do to make sure they're serving the customer in the best way because it was doing everything for the team. So again, mate, well done with that philosophy. There's a lot a lot of people in sales that um, really struggle with that mindset. You, you've led the way, you've, you've been doing it since 2005 in your business, so great job. Yeah, thanks for that. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, it was perfect. And the one time out of 10, it wasn't. Sometimes someone would go, well, there's no bonus on that, so I'm not doing it. So I had to deal with that as well. And, um, you know, so when I say it could have been 90 times out of 100, it was good. And one time out of 100, it wasn't. But the point was, it's not, it wasn't a perfect system. But I can tell you that the system, though, it completely changed the business because everyone had a, had a vested interest in the success of the business all of a sudden. So it completely changed the business. It was a, was a massive pivoting point. The only reason why that happened was because I woke up one Monday morning in 2005 
with no money in the bank. Well, not true. I had $1,700 in the bank, not enough to pay wages that week if I didn't get any money in. And I said, this isn't going to work. I have to change the business so that way it's better for everybody. And I essentially gave everyone a pay cut, but a pay rise at the same time. So I'd worked out what they did and said, well, look, you know, I, I'm going to reduce your wages, but if you do everything you've just been doing, nothing extra, you're actually getting a pay rise, but it's going to be based on bonuses as opposed to just for turning up. Completely changed the business. People got paid more and they also then did more. Yeah, great, great learning experience and great example of teamwork. Thanks for sharing, mate. You also talked about the no fire policy. Just tell us a little bit more about that. And what I'm really interested to know is, how did that or did that change your mindset around you as a leader and, and how much time you invested in people that you bought into your business? Oh, absolutely. Like I said, if I look at the return on investment, so you know, if I'd spent you know, $100,000 or $200,000 on an investment property, I'd want to get a return on it, right? Staff for me were an investment and it was up to me and I saw it as my responsibility to teach and train and nurture staff to get that return on investment. So they did two things for me. Staff obviously helped me duplicate because they were better at the job than I was. And if I fired them, I also then lost my return on investment. So the four things, when, the, when you know, the, we call it, talk about white flags and red flags and things like that. Well, before it got too deep, you know, I would then try and invest time into doing what I'd call personal development interviews. And PDIs can be done at any time at any stage. They don't have to be done in like quarterly reviews. Mm-hmm. They can be done any time because they're development interviews. And people can have those you can have them daily, which is ridiculous, but you can have them daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, or yearly. Uh, they can be formal or informal, informal over a coffee or formal in the boardroom. But at the end of the day, that development interview and understanding that you are there to develop your staff to become better at their jobs so you can achieve what you want to achieve is a basic philosophy. And, and that's why I had a no-fire policy. I never fired anybody in the business at Renet unless they didn't make it in the first month. So if they didn't make it because they... They said all the right things and then turned up and didn't do it. Well, then I'd let them go. And there was only a few of those. But mostly once they'd come in, I never fired anyone. They were all there for the, for the long run. I had to leave on their own accord. How did you look at people that did leave your business? Because I'm sure that happened, but, but not for, for bad reasons. You know, you, you'd, you'd seen them grow, develop, and they wanted to move on to, to other opportunities. How, how did you look upon that as a leader? Well, there's two ways of looking upon that as a leader. I mean, the true success of a leader is when someone leaves your business, if they go on and prosper, you are pretty good. If they go on and fail, it means you weren't very good as a leader anyway. So that's one way of looking at it. But secondly, I, I expected people to leave. So when they did finally one day say, look, Scott, I'm going to go and have a go on my own or I'm going to leave and go work for a different company, look, I just let them go. I said, you know, thanks for, thanks for being here. Thanks for being part of the journey. And that's all I could do. Does that make sense? I never really celebrated it. Some mm. people, you know, celebrate and do all those sorts of things. I never really celebrated people leaving. Um, but you supported you know, them. Well, I didn't, yeah, I didn't make it hard for them, depending on how they left. You know, so half the people seem to leave nicely and the other half seem to leave not nicely. I don't know what that's all about, but mm. some people seem to want to have a go at you all the time and oh, some, one day they say, oh, you know, and I worked really hard and everything else. And I go, well, yeah, but you got paid and everything. But sometimes sometimes people want to have a go at you, but I just, like water off the dust back, I just let it go. Mm. And I, some of those people actually tried to, to rehire again and you know one of the staff that left 10 years ago is actually back working for Renet again now so people do come back and people do go off and try and leave but one of the guys that left you know he's now he's now a member of parliament he's gone off and prospered really well he's gone and he was he's running a company up north and now he's actually pivoted over to politics you know so I want people to prosper I want them to, to leave the nest as well and have a go on their own yeah so when people leave it's hard 
Mate, there was another part I just wanted to to mention, and I'd, I'd love you to again. I'm sure there's a video on your website around a funny story and staff and flexible hours. You mentioned the flexible hours and and time off and stuff like that. Do you want to just share a little bit more about that for our listeners? Yeah, look, I didn't value people's hours. I only valued their results and their outcomes and their productivity, and that was all along. So when it came to office hours, I mean, people just I mean, obviously, it was a typical nine-to-five office, but, but people knew they had that. But as far as turning up at seven in the morning and leaving at three in the afternoon, if that's what they wanted to do, I said, sure. If they wanted to start at 11, finish at seven at night, I would have said yes to that too. But at the end of the day, I let people do whatever they wanted. And most people, they were hired on that basis. And most people respected that and did everything they needed to do. So it was really good. So the mm-hmm. office hours were completely flexible. If they wanted to go watch their kids at school, all they did was make sure everyone knew what they were doing. They didn't just disappear. They were a part of a team. But everyone was under the same boat anyway. So they got a hairdresser's appointment. Look, I've got them leaving early round for a hairdresser's appointment. Yeah, sure. All right. See you tomorrow. You know, it was easy. There was no hassles. There was no yeah. dramas. There was no, no Bundy clock. There was no micro-watching the hours. Once again, that comes back down to the financial system that I had in place, you know, so, and then people would also then work at night. People would sit down, you'd see the tickets come through or jobs completed because they'd be, couldn't sleep at three o'clock in the morning, they'd smash out a few jobs or a few emails. And no one, you know, felt guilty about that because everyone had incentives to do their job and do their job to the best of their ability. Remember, it was a system. Renet was really a system. The real estate software was just a vehicle. When did this flexibility start in your business? Ah, uh, from the beginning. Yeah, so early 2000s. Yeah, it was always this. The moment I started hiring people, do you want to know how I hired two people? In in Easter 2003, I was up on the Sunshine Coast at Coolum, and I was just trying to grow the business uh, in a caravan traveling through Queensland. And the business was growing, right, at a rate that I couldn't keep up. So I flew home to Coffs Harbour. I'm sorry, I drove home to Coffs Harbour, and I, I rented a space for $75 a week. I put two desks in. I hired someone to answer the phones, a lady, and her to do some bookwork for me and a young guy that wanted to be a website designer. I hired the space for two people, put some desks in, waved goodbye, and said, I'll talk to you on the road. <laughs> but they, all I needed them to do was come in and just help me keep up with the workload that was coming. So mm. that was the first start. Mm. I wasn't even there. I mean, they, they were coming and going as they wanted from the very start. Mm. And that never changed that whole philosophy all the way along. So I didn't care what time they turned up. I didn't care. As long as they got what I needed done done, everyone was happy. So that philosophy yeah. stayed the whole way. There was no off, there was no office hours. There was no typical, oh, you're 40 hours a week or 38 hours a week or, you know, you're nine to five or whatever your job is. It was, it was flexible the whole way. It's fair to say that you, know, you were pushing and, and actually living flexible working conditions long before it was fashionable. And just in typical Scotty Schindler humor i suppose i just pulled up one of your videos and and the office hours states for renet open most days about eight or nine but some days as late as 12 or one we close about five thirty or six but occasionally about four or five some days or afternoons we aren't here at all and lately we've been here just about all the time except when the surf is good <laughs> absolutely that, fantastic that was actually on the front door of the office from the very first office I had to the last office, and that was on the front door. But it wasn't it wasn't just a you know a bit of a uh, you know a bit of a fun thing. Mm. It became a bit of a tourist attraction. People yeah. would come to the coffee shops in Sawtell. You'd open the door and they'd be taking photos of your of your office door. <laughs> and you go, oh, how are you going? But it, that was actually a fact. Um, yeah. That was how we worked. And you know, I guess as a leader, I mean, I 
I never made appointments before 11 o'clock because, you know, if the surf was good, I wanted to surf. So if I was at home and wasn't on the road somewhere like Brisbane or New Zealand or Melbourne, well, then I wanted to surf if the surf was good. Yeah. At the same time, I used to be the first one in, last one out a lot of time as well. So it was totally flexible. So those office hours might have been a bit of fun, but it was actually the truth. That sign just epitomises you and I think where, again, the, the traction you've got obviously through the business, but even, you know, life after Renet and what you're doing now in semi-retirement, you know, there's people just love you. They just, they can just relate to you. You're just a real person. And, and that sign's absolute testament to that realness of you. <laughs> Thanks for that. Let me ask you about your, you know, we've spoken a lot about leadership and, and culture and, and some of the teamwork dynamics in, in Renet and what's been achieved there. How about your own leadership style and what you've learned over that process. And, and there's also something you call a leadership report card. So just tell us a bit a bit about that. I'm not sure I had a leadership style. I just had a leadership philosophy or belief. Uh, maybe you could call it a style. Yeah, I'd probably need an expert like you to help me out with what that style was. <laughs> it was really just about the empathy and, and the uh, willingness to invest in staff and understanding that mm. philosophy of duplication. And one thing that every successful person understands is they can't do it on their own. They have to do it as a successful team. And, you know, being the captain of a team doesn't mean you have the best team in the world. Having the best team in the world is when, it, is when everyone gets along and everyone does what they're supposed to do and all of a sudden everything happens like magic. So it was having that understanding that that's what I needed to do was probably the style, if you like, but mm-hmm. I don't know what how you categorize it or put it into a sentence. But that's definitely one thing that I had. And I learned that from the insurance business. If I helped enough people achieve their goals, well, I'd achieve mine. So that's the business I created. The real estate software wasn't really the product. It was just the vehicle that we used. What I did was I created the systems for both sides. So the systems internally with staff and development around that, as well as systems for agents to use for exactly the same thing. I've helped, if I helped enough agents become successful real estate agents, they stayed clients, right? That's how I grew the business. And as far as the leadership report card goes, that's really that, you know, once you finish, do people go on and do people succeed or do people fail? And if more people leave your business and succeed than, than fail, well, then you're doing a good job. But if everyone who leaves your business is no good, well, then you really weren't doing a good job with them either, right? You talk about the same qualities of success in business and sport. What are those qualities? Uh, well, you know, give a simple thing like your education, you know, and, and we talk about education is really just your potential. There's so many superior uh, sporting people, their potential just oozes out of them everywhere. And as kids, they win, 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 win. And then they just don't get that grit and determination to see it through when they become adults. One thing in business is exactly the same. That grit and determination to do what it takes to achieve what you want to achieve. And turning up with that determination and focus day in, day out through good times, bad times. You know, it's easy when things are going good. But when things aren't going good, how you double down and how you focus or pivot. You know, I, I took six goes to get Renet going. You know, it took nearly four years to grow that company. It wasn't an overnight success. And, you know, a lot of people with lots of skill don't have that same grit or determination to actually double down and do what it takes. And that's the same thing in sports. There was one thing we learned in, in sport, and I talk about it a lot when I do sport coaching. It's called car park disease, CPD. So let's use the real estate industry as an example because I'll pick on I'll pick on real estate salespeople. Here's Johnny, right? He's been in the real estate business for two years. He's kicking a heap of goals and he's doing really well. He goes and buys himself a flat new car. And you know, all he does is drive around, you know, parking his car everywhere at the coffee shops and everything else because so people can see his nice new BMW or Mercedes or Lexus. 
and he's no longer doing the activities that he did that got him to be where he's gotten to. So he starts to get this little thing called CPD, car park disease, running around talking about how good he is, how good he was, instead of doing the things that needed to be done and continue doing or developing and making them even stronger to get to the next level. And that's what's the little thing called CPD. And that's where it happens in sport. Young kid gets to 21, he's down the pub now, now everyone's patting him on the back and telling him how good he was and how good he is instead of being out training and being focused. Look, I sold insurance for 10 years and a lot of that included sports people. And some of the sports people that made it, they were always the ones that were dedicated and focused. They weren't the ones out there at the top. They were all the, always the ones that were disciplined. They were training, they were exercising, they were focused. And you know what? The same thing is in business. It doesn't matter how much potential you've got, it's how much you want to grow and develop your own skills and get to the next level. Set those goals and do whatever it takes to achieve the, the goals that you want to achieve. doesn't mean you're going to achieve everything, but I can tell you there's way more chance of success of whatever it is you want to su- succeed in and whatever you, whatever you measure your success as if you're out there doing whatever it takes. And that's the one thing about sport that is so similar to business. It's exactly the same. Grit and determination has, has achieved way more for anyone in business and anyone in sport than potential ever has. Where are you going next? Like what, what's, what's the next you know, few years hold for Scotty and what sort of impact are you wanting to have on the world? I have absolutely no idea. When I retired <laughs> from Renet, I had a goal to just see where the universe took me. And if it didn't line up with anything, I was happy to go surfing all day. But as it turned out, I then started, you know, getting asked to do speaking and talking and mentoring and advising. And that then went to the next level. And almost little Scottyisms like sugar and cream, when I talked to people about it, people related to it. So I started trademarking and registering those. So I figured that, well, I really do enjoy when I share things with people and they have a profound effect on them and they have their own epiphany and they go off and start doing the things they need to do to succeed. And that has been one of the, the most pleasing things that I've done in a long time. I know you're having a massive impact. I also know you, you're really enjoying and loving the journey. It, it's good fun, you know. Like someone from Philadelphia sent me a, a photo of the, her system 1357 that she was mapping out for herself the other day. And she was starting this business and she had system 1357 written on this big sheet of paper and she had all the things under there that she'd learned from the software. And I'm sitting there going, wow, now this is the reason why I do what I do. It's a profound effect it's having on people, and that is like a drug all on its own. It's just mm-hmm. like winning an Australian surfing title or a world title. That's a great story, mate. Again, just epitomises you as you know, you're giving that information away for free at the moment, and, and people are using it. It's not about the financial rewards for you; it's the satisfaction that is actually helping people. And to me, that's what real leadership's about. If you could give emerging leaders, aspiring leaders, current leaders one bit of advice that you've learned in your journey, what would that be? Ah, all right. Well, let me give an example around sales manager or a sales leader. So this is the easiest one, but it's the same philosophy for every single department. So if you're the sales manager and you're the number one salesperson, you're not the sales manager. If you're the sales manager and you're the most important person in the team, you're not the real leader. A leader develops people. A leader inspires people. A leader creates teams. A leader creates an environment for people to succeed in. And if you're the number one, and you're running a sales team, well, then you're not the leader. We're going to close up now, mate, but I'd love you to share with the listeners because I'm sure there'll be a number of people that 
you know, already know you and are in contact with you but don't, don't know you and they're going to listen to this and think, geez, I've got to meet this guy. How can people get in contact with you? Well, the easiest way is, is either via the website, which is scottishhuler.com. That's just my name. You can Google me. I'm the only Scottish Hula in the world, apparently. <laughs> There's plenty of Scots, but not many Scottish. <laughs> uh, the, oh, obviously, follow one LinkedIn. Um, and a lot of the material you talk about is freely available. It's, it's up there. I just share it. And people can learn from it, or they can ask me to, to you know, advise or mentor them as well, and, and talk about implementation if they want to. But a lot of it's put out in such a way that people can learn and apply the same philosophies that I use. They can apply them for free in their own business. Mate, I want to say just a, a massive thank you for giving up your time today. And I know you said earlier the surf's pretty good there, so you're able to uh, to come in, pull yourself away from that and spend some time with us. I really appreciate that. Your experience, your knowledge, you know, you're walking in, you know, doing things actually that are real, are real life. You've actually, you know, you've used the term walked in people's shoes and you've done that. And I really appreciate what, you, uh, what you've done today and sharing this. Thanks for your time today, mate. Really appreciate it. Anytime, Matt. My pleasure. Scotty Schindler is an amazing bloke and a real Aussie larrikin. He has real life and real business experience. He is the real deal. His business and leadership education was learnt on the job. He was willing to try new things and not follow the norms. Scotty did things his way. As he said, he failed a few times, and things weren't always perfect. But through pure grit, determination and focus, he built a great culture, a great team, and developed as a great leader. And all these things combined helped create a hugely successful business. These were my three key takeaways from my chat with Scotty. My first key takeaway is around culture. Focus on building strong relationships. Scotty focused on building strong relationships with his team and building strong relationships with his clients. In relation to his team, Scotty mentioned the no-fire policy he had, which helped him think about how he invested time with his people. One of the tools he used to invest time was what he called PDIs, personal development interviews which he had with his team. He saw it as his personal responsibility as a leader to help get the best out of his people. And the strong relationships with his clients. Scotty talked about focusing on the lifetime value of the client and he had his whole team focused on creating lifetime value. He wasn't just after the sale. This thinking on both fronts really demonstrates the value Scotty placed on the importance of building strong relationships in business. My second key takeaway is around leadership. Leadership is not about being the star performer. In fact, Scotty says if you are leading a team and you are the star performer, then you are not a real leader. He used the example of a sales manager. The sales manager shouldn't be the number one salesperson in the team. If they are number one, then they aren't a real leader. A leader develops people, inspires people, builds teams and creates the environment for people within their team to succeed. My third key takeaway is around teamwork. Nothing drives teamwork like a collective goal. 
Even in an individual results-driven world like sales, teamwork is achievable and will help your business thrive. Scotty is proof of that. Focusing on the lifetime value of the client was their collective goal and their bonus scheme supported it. Every single person shared in the success of the business, but they also shared the pain when they lost a client. Scotty said this was an absolute game changer for his business and it drove teamwork right through the organisation. So in summary, focus on building strong relationships. Leadership is not about being the star performer and nothing drives teamwork like a collective goal. I have to also mention, and this is testament to what a great bloke Scotty is, Scotty's now giving away his complete System 1357 training package. If you want to learn much more from Scotty, visit www.system1357.com to sign up and start learning today. If you have any questions or feedback about this episode, please feel free to send me a message at brendan at brendanrogers.com.au. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. Please visit brendanrogers.com.au to access the show notes. If you love the Culture of Things podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on Apple Podcasts. And remember, a healthy culture is your competitive advantage.